Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Congratulations. We've once again made it to Friday. So glad you're with us for this edition of the Three Martini Lunch. And to reward you for making it all the way through a crazy week with us, an all-crazy edition of the Three Martini Lunch today. Crazies across the board. But, Jim, we start with a very good anniversary, which is actually on Saturday. But since we don't do the podcast on Saturday, we're doing it today, February twenty-second, 1980. We've talked a lot, even talked on Thursday in the Three Martini Lunch, about uh, the fact that the Democrats might be on the verge of nominating a socialist for president of the United States this year. And anytime a socialist rears their head, you need to defeat those socialists. Probably the biggest win against uh, socialism and communism obviously came with the Cold War. But before the official end of the Cold War, we had a couple other big wins against the Soviet Union, both of which happened in 1980. Ronald Reagan, of course, winning the White House uh, is probably an essential ingredient to the actual victory in the Cold War. But in terms of rallying the nation at a time when the economy sucked and the hostages were in Iran and the Soviets were on the march, we got this gem in Lake Placid at the Winter Olympics, February 22nd, 1980. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow, up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. Ah, Jim, it still gives me chills. I know the pros play now. It's not the same. Also, it's not the Soviet Union anymore when we do play hockey in the Olympics, but uh, it's hard to overstate the significance of that moment just in terms of uh, national morale and on the world stage, good versus evil, as Reagan would say. Yeah, um, the only thing I can add to that is that I, I, years ago when Marv Albert was not quite a controversial figure, in fact, if you want to talk about a guy whose scandal just disappeared into the ether, he ranks high on, among them, but his argument was that it was actually him who said, yes, after uh, the Al Michaels question, do you believe in miracles? And uh, and I believe also was Dick Vitale later said, you better believe it, baby, was also his, you know, they contended that they were not hurt. Um, arguably one of the greatest moments in sports history, arguably one of the great, certainly one of the greatest moments in Olympics history, hockey history, and just for sheer geopolitical symbolism, uh, it ranks really high up there. And, you know, um, again, all, you know, when you have that and also one of the greatest upsets of all time, it's, it's just, you know, as you said, a moment that gives you chills. Absolutely. And we've talked about this during the Olympics before, but while we're glad the Cold War is over, watching the Olympics during the Cold War took on a whole new dimension because obviously you cheered for the Americans, but if the American wasn't doing well in a specific event, you could at least cheer for the people from the communist nations to crash and burn. And, uh, you know, so that was always a good good way to uh, to watch the Olympics. And one other note, Greg, is, you know, like when it came to the Olympics, who were the judges who were the most blatantly unfair and biased and, you know, would never give the Americans credit for anything? The East German judge, right? <laughs> That's that. So the, the funny thing is, out of all of them, it's the Stasi judges that ended up with the, oh, they're really, you know, even the Soviets are fairer than those guys. That's true. Yeah, the East German judges were pretty bad. All right, let's get on to our crazy martinis now. Three of them to close out the week, and let's start in Nevada. Tomorrow, Saturday, is the Nevada caucuses. And let's just say the Nevada Democrats are setting expectations 
pretty low. Associated Press, this actually came out uh, the night of the debate, but with all the uh, fireworks from the debate, we didn't have time to talk about it until today. Democrats will not commit to releasing the unofficial results of Saturday's Nevada caucuses on the day of the vote as they emphasize accuracy over speed in the aftermath of the chaos surrounding the Iowa caucuses. DNC Chairman Tom Perez told the Associated Press that several factors, including early voting and potentially high turnout, could affect the tabulation and timing of results. In addition, Nevada, like Iowa, will be reporting three sets of data from the multi-stage caucus process. Perez says he doesn't know when the results will be released. Quote, we're going to do our best to release results as soon as possible, but our North Star again is accuracy, he said late Tuesday. So, Jim, obviously you want accurate results. I didn't see uh, New Hampshire having a problem cranking out accurate results on the same night. But um, I I guess if you don't think you can get it done, it's good to let people know that ahead of time, unlike Iowa's debacle. But the fact that you don't think you can get it done is pretty bad. Yeah, but people didn't notice this because people weren't tuned in yet. But before the Nevada Democratic debate, former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, yes, the man who generated our way to go Nevada, way to go slogan, addressed the crowd and he came out and he said Nevada should be first Iowa is not representative New Hampshire is not representative Nevada should be first well if you guys want to really make this an audition to go first get this stuff right uh everybody is saying the right things yeah you you know accuracy is more important than speed if you end up saying okay you know it's going to be a late night all right fine we're used to late nights when it comes to getting election results particularly for those of us who live on the east coast But if you're not getting it till the next morning, the day after, it was like three or four days before we got anything resembling 100% of the results uh, out of Iowa. They can't do that. And in fact, I think if two of the three uh, first three contests end up having issues like that, not only will that kill off caucuses, which might be a good thing as is, the rest of the world will be laughing at us. uh, and, And Republicans will be laughing at Democrats, justifiably. But people will really kind of say, well, wait, if it takes you that long, why are you using this system? First of all, the three layers and, and, you know, as we said yesterday, if democracy dies in darkness, it gets strangled by complicated voting systems. I suppose it's better than trust us, everything's going to be fine and then things not being fine, which is what happened in Iowa. Um, I, I suppose I should give them a, a couple molecules of credit for their humility and their recognition that they can't say with 100% certainty that everything's going to work out fine. One of the big issues in Iowa is they had this fancy new app and a lot of the people who run the caucuses are either volunteers or they're you know only getting a per DM. Elderly folks, they mean well, they're good folks, but they're, you know, you, you got to give them a lot of training. And it sounds like this app was thrown together eh, only slightly less quicker than the uh, Iowa Democrats did. They're not using the same one. They're using one that looks an awful lot like, you know, Google spreadsheets on iPads. I hope you get it right, guys. You, you, this is like Because if Nevada doesn't get it right, they'll have even less excuse because Iowa, they, they, we've already seen the experience of Iowa. I, I think it's a little unnerving. Maybe this all ends up being much ado about nothing and everything turns out fine. But if it doesn't, it means we should get rid of caucuses forever. And you start wondering if maybe it's time for the states, as much as I don't like the idea of taxpayers covering the costs of major party primaries, we need functioning primaries to you know, select presidents in this country, uh, as well as senators, as well as uh, governors and all the other down ticket offices. I, I, parties should not have an issue running elections in their own states. But apparently, Greg, they may not be capable of handling these duties anymore. Yeah, to whiff on two out of the first three would definitely, definitely not be good. My only request is that we have results by Monday morning, because that's when we go and record the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. <laughs> they're doing it on Saturday. This, you know... <laughs> 
you should be able to do it on Saturday. You have no excuse not to have it by Sunday. But really, the, the drop-dead deadline is Monday morning Eastern time, mind you, not Vegas time. All right, let's move on to our second crazy martini. And Jim, uh, Mike Bloomberg got pasted in the uh, Wednesday night debate. There's no doubt about it. Uh, But as we mentioned, he uh, did do a little bit better on some of the issues. His campaign, as you mentioned yesterday, saying, hey, after the first 45 minutes, he did great. Well, yeah, the first 45 minutes were pretty lousy, and uh, the rest of it wasn't that great for him. But uh, he was able to make a couple of key points. He uh, zinged Sanders a couple of times on socialism. And then he also asked the question to the rest of the candidates, knowing what the answer would be, as to whether or not anyone else had started their own business. And uh, so Bloomberg turned that into an Internet video, and he took a lot of reaction shots out of context to basically show that crickets were chirping while all of these uh, other candidates couldn't say anything because they had never started a business. So uh, anyway, here's what it sounds like. I'm the only one here that I think that's ever started a business. Is that fair? So there's the crickets, and then you've got blank stares from Klobuchar and Buttigieg and Biden. That's Warren gasping and taking her hand down because she can't say yes. Soon Bernie will be exhaling here because he can't say yes. And uh, so it just goes on and on and on. There it was. Okay. And then Bloomberg goes on with his answer. So then uh, the, the hue and cry yesterday, Jim, was, this is doctored video. They're deceiving the public. And... Uh, Obviously, if you saw the debate, if you watch it and have any experience with video, it's pretty obvious that Bloomberg is emphasizing a point rather than trying to contend that this is exactly how it happened. So uh, what do you make of the outcry that this was doctored? Is this uh, deception on the part of Bloomberg or is this just Bloomberg highlighting a point? So yesterday, uh, first of all, I I suppose we should give the Bloomberg campaign a little bit of credit um, they found the moment of the debate, of the exchange in the debate that went well for him. Um, it's a bit like Sparling Waldo. Not easy to find. But they did find one. Um, actually, we, we, and we, as we discussed yesterday, he did have some good moments um, in, you know, calling out Bernie Sanders on his three houses and, and stuff like that. He picks this one. And as you know, everyone who is watching live and anybody can go up and look at the, the actual video now, it was about two, two second exchange. It is accurate to say that nobody else on that stage has started a business unless, you know, off the top of my head, if any of them had, they would have remembered it. It was not 20 some seconds. There were no crickets on. And that's what makes it, I think, okay. If you had dead silence for for all that time with all of them just looking uncomfortable and, and, you know, stammering and and all that stuff. Well, then maybe people might have said, but the crickets are like the kind of there for, you know, comedic emphasis. And that's what makes it out over the top. Unless, of course, I mean, Greg, do you think there are people out there who genuinely believe that there were crickets up on stage? <laughs> By the way, so yesterday I, I put out, you know, somebody said something like, you know, the subtext of the, you know, the, the Bloomberg campaign is, you know, the hell with this. I can buy and sell all you people. So get out of my way. You know, so I came up with the you know, I saw I found a, a Bloomberg campaign and I came up with the slogan. He can buy and sell all of you 10 times over. So cut the crap. Um, <laughs> You know, and I, I put it, I said, look, this is a parody. Like, to me, the idea is that it's so obvious that this is such a terrible idea for a slogan. No one could possibly believe that that is a real slogan and I'm not putting out some sort of disinformation and I'm not a Russian bot and all that stuff. Like, I kind of do this. The moment I sent out that tweet, I'm like, you know what? Somebody's going to get their knickers in a twist about this. I'm going to put it, you know, this is a satire. You can explain the joke, but, you know, this, this, you realize you, you put yourself in the situation of like, you're practicing defensive comedy. 
Right. Kind of like defensive driving, right? You're you're thinking ahead to who could get offended by it, who could get upset by it, who could contend that misleads people. And this is why the Snopes fact-checking site is on this jihad against the Babylon Bee. At some point, we just have to trust people to be able to tell when something looks and sounds ridiculous to recognize that it's a joke and it's not reality. I have a more complicated strategy to address this, Greg. You know what that is? What? Let's get reality to stop being ridiculous. <laughs> Because that's why people get fooled. It's like, you know, once you've had the president of the United States, you know, denouncing his own cabinet members or, uh, you know, Marianne Williamson going on about dark, sinister spiritual forces on a debate. Like reality has been so weird that you can tell. I'm sure the Babylon Bee just looks at the headlines and says, we can't top this. There's, there's you, you, you can't make fun of this because this is already so inherently ridiculous. Now, the other intriguing thing about this is that, you know, Twitter had just announced this very strict policy on disinformation and video editing and everybody's worried about deep fakes and, and all that stuff. By the way, for some reason, Greg, they, it kicks in on March 5th. If you think there's something really bad going on social media, do you like, we're going to stop this in a month? It's very weird. Like, we're going to wait until after Super Tuesday. So everybody, get your deep fakes in now. Because after March 5th, that's, that, that's not going to fly anymore. By literal standards, this is exactly what the Bloomberg campaign did. As I said, I think if you can't tell it, that's parody. You notice that the arguments against these sorts of things, Drake, are always, well, look, I wasn't fooled, but other stupid people out there will be fooled. And I just think there's only so much you can do to protect stupid people, Greg. At some point, we have to get Darwinist and kind of accept that, you know, (laughs) we're going to lose some people along the way. Well, stupid people being fooled by stupid things was the whole premise of uh, how the Russians stole the election, wasn't it? Pretty much the theory that Internet memes were the reason that Hillary Clinton lost. uh, I mean, I suppose, again, I I keep looking for the voter who actually believed that Hillary (laughs) Clinton boxed Jesus. The woman's got her flaws. I'm not, you know, like, I don't think she'd do that. And secondly, Jesus has a mean right hook. So you don't want to get into the, you don't want to get into that ultimate fighting cage with him. The Babylon Bee, first of all, I'm guessing most of our listeners know it. Uh, It is an oasis of sanity in a crazy, increasingly crazy world. Secondly, Jim, I'm surprised that none of the other Democrats on stage pulled the Obama card from 2008. I don't know if it was McCain or somebody else on the Democratic side who tried to uh, say, hey, you've never run a business. And remember what Obama's answer was? I'm running this campaign. Yes, I have run a business. You know, and campaigns are just like them. I mean, I suppose you could say they're selling things, but like, yeah, no profit motive. And I know. have staff and stuff. We had a photocopier and fax machine and web people, coffee maker. We're just like any other office. All right. Well, let's talk about our third crazy martini now. And for that, we go out even further to the left coast, beyond Nevada to California. Governor Gavin Newsom. Hard to believe at one time he was married to Kimberly Guilfoyle, who's now dating Donald Trump Jr. You talk about reality being weirder than fiction, Jim. That's one of the little areas where that's true. But uh, Gavin Newsom making some news on Twitter today uh, with a little bit of a Twitter thread. And the first one is the one that gathered the most attention, where he said, quote, Doctors should be able to write prescriptions for housing the same way they do for insulin or antibiotics. Then he goes on to say that we need to start targeting social detriments of health. We need to start treating brain health like we do physical health. What's more fundamental to a person's well-being than a roof over their head? 10 million Californians, one in four, suffer from some type of behavioral health condition. It's not a narrow issue. It's not a new issue. Physical health and brain health are inextricably linked, and our healthcare system has been designed to treat only one of those. And finally, let's be clear, massive failures in our mental health system and disinvestment in our social safety net, exacerbated by widening income inequality and our housing shortage, has led us to where we are today. Too many Californians left to live 
on our streets. So uh, he's uh, blaming other people for the homeless problem in California. Jim, this could go on, this conversation could go on for a long time about how uh, folks emptied out the mental hospitals uh, years ago. But basically, it sounds like Gavin Newsom is saying here that housing should be a right, which means, and though he's not saying it explicitly yet, that taxpayers ought to pay for it. I was about to say, um, who's been running California for the last 16 years or so? He just woke up now and realized all these problems are in California. You know, he's... Before uh, you know, he was mayor of San Francisco, he's he's wasn't he was he lieutenant governor? He was lieutenant governor for Jerry Brown, yeah, right. Like he he's been around. Like Gavin, what did you just wake up one morning and notice and say, "Oh my goodness, this state has terrible problems." You ran on this whole idea of like you were part of the incumbent strategy. It's like the fascinating thing about all the problems in California is that they're really you know you tell oh wealth inequality and not investing in these crucial states. First of all, they haven't had a governor since Schwarzenegger. I don't think they've had anybody in statewide government in a couple cycles. And if they do, it's always like, you know, state auditor or something. There's, there's, you know, you run out of Republicans to blame. There is no, you know, tightwad fiscal conservatives to blame in California. Democrats have been running the show. And of all places, San Francisco has been run, been run by Democrats for generations. So you can't blame these nefarious right wingers for this. You guys made this bed. You guys, you know, set this up. To the extent you have it, you know, if we're, we talked about the Babylon Bee in our previous martini. Um, right up there with the Babylon Bee is Remy, who does these videos for Reason magazine. They're more libertarian. But he's a very funny one about San Francisco's housing crisis, all set to um, the opening music to Full House, Greg. <laughs> uh, and besides having a really good Aunt Becky joke in there, uh, basically the whole theme is like the idea of like, how could this family afford to live in this house? Have you seen housing prices in California? I'm not going to sing it. He does a much better job than I do. But the gist being that, like, California has, you know, like, like San Francisco is a very beautiful city. You know, you, you drive, other than this, the poop, you have to step around. Um, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge, the painted ladies of these old townhouses and all that stuff. But the reason San Francisco is this very pretty city is that all the skyscrapers are in this one little corner where the Transamerica Pyramid is. And the rest of the city, it's very hard to build new structures. Those zoning laws are the way they like them. People like their neighborhoods the way they are. And because it's a peninsula and you can't expand out into the Pacific Ocean, you can't expand into the bay, you can't go north. You know, there's only one direction you can grow in, and that's it heads into Silicon Valley. You've just always had this huge boom in supply in, in demand and, and the supply remains the same. And that's that's the heart of the housing crisis in San Francisco. And you see similar phenomenon all over these California cities. So if you really want to alleviate this problem, you got to build more housing. That, that's just there's just no two ways about it. And at the heart of it, like, like, I suppose you could say, well, well, Gavin Newsom, the real prescription is to build more housing. Uh, but, you know, instead of doctors prescriptions for housing, like, you know, was this inevitable once California became the first state to legalize marijuana? <laughs> and even when Schwarzenegger was governor, he tried to be fiscally conservative for about 10 minutes until the public and the legislature wanted nothing to do with it. And he pretty much ran for uh, the last four years of his governorship as a liberal Republican and didn't do much to uh, uh, spread conservatism around the state because the state didn't want much of it. My only advice, though, to people who want to leave is if you go to a red state, stop voting for the mess that got you into that mess in the first place. Let's just try that harder and see how it goes. <laughs> That's right. Press harder when you press the button for Democrats on the machine. <laughs> Lessons never learned by some. But, uh, Jim, 
crazy, crazy, crazy to close out the week. But uh, hey, we will hopefully have results on Monday. We got another debate next week, and then we got South Carolina a week from Saturday. So uh, all sorts of fun stuff to look forward to. Uh, can't wait, Greg. <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Karumis, Radio America. Thank you so much for being with us today. Please do subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review, and even a five-star rating would be nice. You can also listen to us on those home espionage devices like Alexa and Google Home. And don't forget, after you have that great weekend, to join us on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.